So tonight, as we look at some practical points of application, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 15. So you can turn there, Proverbs chapter 15. And there are eight verses at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 15, seven of which are really about our tongues and our hearts. So I'm just going to go through these seven of these eight verses at the beginning of chapter 15. Now, before I do, I'm going to pray, but I just want to say that when you go through Proverbs, it's a very, very practical book, isn't it? I mean, it's just, they're wise sayings, it's, it's wisdom literature, they are principles of truth that the Lord has given us, that by His grace we may apply them. And there's not always a lot of nuance to them. Sometimes there is. But oftentimes it's just, it's wisdom on its face, you see it. And so tonight, I'm not going to try to go super deep into these. I'm going to grasp the low-hanging fruit. I'm going to get into a bunch of the Hebrew meaning of the words, just so we understand exactly what the actual proverb is saying, and we're not taking some improper interpretation from it. And then, of course, I want to end where we always need to end, which is focusing on Jesus Christ and in the power of our speech with him, which is ultimately what Proverbs 15, 8 is about, and that will usher us into celebrating the Lord's Supper. So that's the outline in terms of what we're going to do tonight. It's, it's nice and straightforward, but that sound good to y'all? Yep, all right, so let's pray, and then we will dive in. Father, I praise you and worship you as the only one worthy of our praise. You are our God. You are above us and beyond us in every way. You are holy and righteous and set apart. You are the creator. You are the one who is in total and complete control. And yet, Lord, you give us the opportunity to know you and to draw near you and to be more like you as we get to know your son Jesus and follow his example. Lord, we praise you that you have given us your word and your truth. We praise you that you have given us these wise sayings in Proverbs and throughout your word. And, and I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that tonight our hearts and our minds would seek to be in conformity with you, that we would be open to your spirit convicting us that we would be open to your spirit encouraging us and spurring us on, Lord. Because we know that it is not by power nor by might, but by your spirit that any of this will happen. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to acknowledge and repent where necessary and rely on your strength to be men and women who speak life to those around us and to ourselves. So, Lord, we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Proverbs has over 90 verses that talk about the tongue and speech. It's one of, if not the most commonly mentioned topic in the whole book. And I think that's probably because so many of us struggle with different aspects of taming our tongue right? I mean, if you're like me, you can 
probably imagine pretty quickly some areas of your speech that fall short of what God would call us to. And that's not to shame us. That's just to get us to be honest with ourselves that we need the Lord to move in our hearts to make change and transformation. Amen? And so we're going to look at these verses in Proverbs 15. And we're just going to take them one by one. And we're going to dive in, okay? So we're going to begin with Proverbs 15. Anyone want to guess which verse we're going to start with? Yes, that's very good. Well done. Verse 1. And it says this. A soft or gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, when I saw what we were preaching on and how we were kind of going through this series, I was glad to see that I got to preach this verse because this is the first verse that the Lord ever put on my heart to memorize. Just for some reason when I was, and I don't mean like, you know, John 3, like not the verses that mom and dad make you memorize or like that you memorize in Awana because that's where you're going or Sunday school. This was like the verse that the Lord said, this one's for you, Matthew. I think it's because I was under the impression that louder meant writer. Anyone there with me on that? Like, as long as I just increase the volume of my voice, I'm right. And the Lord had me memorize this because it is so critical in any form of communication you are ever going to have. With any person you're going to be in communication with, including yourself, and in written and spoken form, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew, the word for gentle means tender and delicate. And it, it pictures the way that you would treat something that is very fragile. Now, recognize that this proverb, a gentle answer turns away wrath, it pictures someone in a conversation. It pictures someone who is responding to someone else. And when our emotions are running high, how many of you know that being fragile and tender and delicate is often the last thing on our mind? Right? We all can relate to that. And yet, there is so much practical wisdom in a simple tenderness and gentility to your tone and to the words that you choose, to the body language you utilize that can diffuse a situation. I've seen this time and again in arguments in my own life. I've, when I practiced law full time, I would often be sent to the mediations because by God's grace, I had a way to diffuse a situation in very tense and hostile conflicts. And honestly, all I did was by the grace of God, follow this verse. 
Because oftentimes I saw that people just needed to emote, and I happened to be the object of their emotion, and so I would answer with a gentle word by the grace of God and move things forward. How many of you know who Charles Spurgeon is? One of the most famous preachers of all time. He tells a fun story that I'm going to steal and share with you. He loved his backyard. It was a place that he had a little area of repose and he could kind of go to the Lord and, and be with him. And he had a neighbor who had a very rowdy dog. And this dog not only barked all the time, incessantly, but loved to get in to Mr. Spurgeon's yard and dig up his flowers and mess around with all of his shrubbery, etc., etc. So one night, Charles went for a walk, and he came back, and he heard all of the rustling and shuffling in the backyard. And immediately, he says, he began to feel the anger rising in his chest. You know that feeling, right? You can just kind of like, like feel it going up. It's like, nope, try to push that back down. Don't let that switch get flipped. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And he walked around towards the back of his house, and sure enough, there was his neighbor's dog. Now, Charles Spurgeon is a very beloved man who the Lord has done a lot of work on, right? And we all have our weaknesses and shortcomings and certainly fall short. And the way that he tells a story, he was so angry that he bent down and picked up a large stick that was near him and he heaved it as hard as he could at the dog. And he said, I am so thankful that I missed the dog. And that was my, my angry retort. What did the dog do? The dog saw him, wagged his tail, bent over and picked up the stick and ran back to Spurgeon, dropped it at his feet and looked up at him with a happy smile wagging his tail. That is a gentle answer. That is what the Lord is calling us to, that we would receive the anger, the hate, the emotion in a situation, and by God's grace allow it to be diffused and respond with that tenderness and that, that fragile response, that recognizing that this person is hurting. We'll get to that in a second. What is a harsh word? Well, in the Greek, it literally means a word of pain. A word of pain. That's the literal Hebrew for it. Did I say Greek? I meant Hebrew. Hebrew. It's the Hebrew. And there's layers of this. There's layers of this meaning. Now, the first meaning, the first layer is it's a word that is meant to hurt someone. I say a harsh word, a word of pain, because I know, boom, that's right what I need to say to really shut them down and to win the situation. I'm sure many of us know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, some of us have very sharp tongues, and we will go right after someone's weak spot when we 
feel the need to defend ourselves, to justify ourselves, etc., etc. So the first layer of meaning here is that the, it's a, a word of pain that is meant to actually hurt someone. But there's a second layer here, and I want us to get below the surface, and this gets to what's coming out of our hearts. See, a word of pain is not only calculated to hurt someone, but is actually a word of pain because it comes from a place of hurt within the person. And this is so critical to understanding and to being able to, by the grace of God, approach someone with gentleness. Because when someone says something to you that puts you on the defensive, when someone says something to you that offends you and hurts you, oftentimes, not every time, oftentimes it is coming from a place of their own hurt. Especially once you get into an argument. Right? Now, there are certainly some times when people say foolish things out of their pride, out of their selfishness, out of their arrogance, right? And what's coming out of their heart isn't necessarily uh, hurt. But then, once they say it, and then we respond, if we respond with a harsh word, guess what we're doing? We're responding out of our hurt, aren't we? And so it is so, so critical in communicating well with people, with our spouses, with our kids, with our parents, with our co-workers, with our boss, with our employees, whatever the relationship. Recognize that harsh words are words of pain. They will hurt people, and they oftentimes come from a place of hurt, and the Lord says that the way to diffuse that is to answer with a gentle word. Now, a gentle word will only come from a heart that is actually rooted in peace. A gentle word, a tender word, a delicate word will only come when that person's heart is able to look beyond that word of hurt that was spoken and to stay at rest, stay calm in the Spirit of God, the shalom, the peace, the wholeness that he provides to us. And this is why this is impossible to do apart from the Spirit of God. And why it is so critical that we know who our God is, that he is the God of peace, and who he says we are, that we are his children We're not defined by that word that was spoken to us. We're defined by who he says we are as his children. And when that is rooted in our hearts and minds, what can come out of our mouths then are words of tenderness, a gentle response. Because what you just said to me, I know does not define me or is not true of me because I know what my father says of me. Do you understand how this is working? Right? And so it is critical that as we receive those words, the, the movement of our heart, and here's where we need to cry out to God to help us to do this, the movement of our heart is not affixing itself to those words, but is actually being reminded of the truth of our God, of who he is and who we are as his children. And usually... That requires us to 
Hit the pause button and allow the emotion of the moment to subside. Be reminded of truth. Allow the Spirit to work in us and ask for the wisdom of how to approach the situation. There was a, 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 a quote here that I wrote down that I liked, and this is from an old British friar. <laughs> and he said this, An insult is like mud. It will brush off better when it's dry. So we need to wait and cool down and then resolve the problem. I just love that imagery, right? An insult, a hurtful word, a word of pain is like mud. It will clean off much better when it's dry. And of course, it's not going to dry until you give it time and just let it harden up and then brush it right off. That is, by God's grace, what we are called to with gentle words, tender words that often respond to words of pain. Of course, if you are someone who speaks words of pain with any degree of consistency, we can probably all raise our hands to that one on some level. Here's the first thing I want us to understand. You need to be really honest with yourself that you are a hurting person. And those words of pain are coming from a place of, of anger and hurt. And there is no way that your speech is going to change unless and until, by the grace of God, you acknowledge that you're hurting and start seeking a way to let the truth of the gospel address that hurt. How many of you know someone who is just an angry person? That was rhetorical. You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> Some of us here have a lot of anger. A little anger. I'm going to tell you how to spell anger. Anger is spelled H-U-R-T. And so by the grace of God, the only way to address the anger that is boiling within our hearts that causes those hurtful words to come forth is to acknowledge that we're hurting and to go to the gospel to have it addressed. That's, that's how it works. And that's a beautiful process because it ends in healing. Amen? Difficult. Painful to face things that cause us hurt. But the Lord wants to heal that hurting heart of ours because he is glorified in that. Proverbs 15, 2. Read it with me. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. There's a, if you go over to Proverbs 15, 28, just turn in your Bibles real quick. It's essentially saying the same thing. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. 
You see some of the parallels here, right? One of the primary themes that we see throughout Proverbs is the comparison between the fool and the wise. The one who is walking by their own understanding versus the one who is relying on the truth and power of of God, of what Yahweh says is best. We don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him and he makes straight our paths, right? This is the juxtaposition that is used all through Proverbs of the fool and the wise. And here we see how the wise man speaks versus how the fool speaks. In the Hebrew, the word for commends, it literally means to make good. The tongue of the wise makes good on knowledge. It, it commends it to people. It, it speaks forth good to people. It's the idea that a wise man or woman will provide helpful and precise truth fit for the situation into which it speaks. Now, on the flip side, you have the fool who just pours out foolishness, folly. And in the Greek, uh, I keep saying that, in the Hebrew, pour out means to gush, to just gush forth uncontrollably. It kind of pictures a dam that is breaking and the water is just pouring through it, unhindered, unfettered, and it just reeks uh, reaps destruction all through. That's the imagery that the writer here is playing with, that the wise man is very intentional about planting seeds of knowledge, whereas the fool just spews forth all of this foolishness. Jesus He put it this way, and he kind of turned it around. He said in Matthew 7, Don't give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. See, the wise man knows when to speak and what to say, that encouraging word, but he also knows, she knows when to just stay silent and to not speak a word that's just going to be trampled upon and that's going to be attacked. Of course, the fool just... And, and recognize that the fool can actually... It is a foolish thing to say a truthful word, a word of life, to a fool who isn't ready to hear it. So part of this isn't just, oh, I'm, I'm always speaking truth, I'm always speaking wisdom. Well, there's a lot of discernment necessary with regard to who you're speaking it to. Lest they trample it underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, you know how often we are <laughs> addressing all the ways we communicate in this series, but... I know Dave mentioned it last week. Certainly, guys, I feel like this is one that we really need to take to heart anytime we're putting our social media muscles on. 
right? And I don't even really need to say more than that. But I think so many situations would be helped if Christians just exercise wisdom with the words that they wrote for other people to see. Because there are a lot of fools out there, guys. We live in a world full of them. And oftentimes we can become them in a moment. And putting truth out there, even if it is actual biblical truth, is so regularly unhelpful. The Lord will use what he wants to do, however he wants to use it, right? So he's going to do his thing, and if you feel led by the Spirit of God, that's the key. Let me underline that, underscore that, bold, highlight. If you're led by the Spirit of God, then by all means, speak truth. But if you're just responding in your own hurt, because you didn't like how that was said, or that gets your dander up on this situation, you're not walking in wisdom. We get the point, right? The wise man is able to understand what to say, when to say it. Now, that brings us to verse 3. Let's read that. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, at first blush, this really isn't about speech at all. But it is a reminder to us that our God is aware of everything at all times, including what's going on in our hearts. The Hebrew word for watch means to intently peer out like a watchman in a tower, keeping watch for the enemy that is coming to attack. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, this is written in a tense that means it's constantly going. He is constantly keeping watch. He is looking out and observing all that is going on. And in a culture, our culture, where the reality is that much of what we say and do is monitored, right? I mean, we all have phones right now that are listening to everything that we're saying. And protection of privacy is being advertised by companies as if they're doing us a favor. Right? Hey, privacy, we got your back. It's important. This is a good reminder that regardless of how well we think that we're hiding from the people around us. And regardless of how far off the grid we think we may live, the Lord knows it all. He's there. He understands. He sees. He's right there in our hearts. And here's what I want us to recognize, because I don't think we've taken this angle before, at least in this series yet. The Lord allows the words we speak, even the hurtful ones, to come out because he loves us and wants us to see what's actually in our hearts, to see what he sees. 
So let me just speak some encouragement right now, because I know that some of us really struggle with our speech. By God's grace, I want us to recognize that this is an opportunity for growth and for receiving the mercy of our God. That's a good thing. So instead of spiraling down into disgust or despair because I just can't get over my sailor's tongue, recognize that the Lord is showing you that's there, and by his grace, he wants to address it. And so there's an opportunity there for us to run to the Lord and to receive that because he knows what's going on there, he sees it, and he is now allowing that to come out so that you can see it too. Maybe swearing isn't your problem. Maybe you're actually a pretty patient person most of the time. But when that switch flips, there it goes. I want to get it back, but I can't. Well, guess what? Praise God that that came out. Truly, praise God that that came out of my mouth because now I see what's in my heart and I recognize that I need to get on my knees and confess that to my God and ask him to work that out of me. What is that coming from? How do I address that, oh God, that that would be removed over time as your spirit works and transforms me from the inside out? See, see, that's the, that's the, the good news in all this. This isn't meant to discourage us. Even if we have poor speech, it is actually an opportunity to see the Lord at work within us. Amen? And so that is, by the grace of God, the good news of the fact that he sees what's in our hearts. This isn't meant to be like the boogeyman, oh, he's watching, he's going to get you. <laughs> Such a dork. But you get the point, right? This is to encourage us that our Lord knows what's in our hearts, and he's going to show you that so that by his grace it can be addressed. Amen? That's the gospel. Because we cannot do it ourselves, it's the Lord who has to show us. It's the Lord who reaches down his head and says, I will take this. Come on, son, let's go. Daughter, yep, come on, I'm picking you up, let's do this. That's what our God does over and over and over again. Right? So this is good news. Even if the Lord has shown us garbage that's coming out, well, he is the greatest garbage man in the history of the universe. He will clean it up as we submit to him to do so. Verse 4. How am I doing on time? Whew, too slow. Let's speed it up. Verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Here, a, the gentle tongue doesn't, it has a different meaning. It's a different word. It's not tender or delicate, it actually is literally means a tongue of healing. A tongue that soothes. And it, it expresses the idea of restoration and renewal. This sort of a tongue is a tree of life. And guess what? There are only two other places in the entire Bible that a tree of life is mentioned. Genesis and Revelation, where 
God himself is present and walking in the garden or when he's come back and is reigning and he is allowing us the joy of eating from the tree of life. The tongue that soothes and heals is a little taste of heaven to come as we can speak that life to people here and now who don't have the privilege of Adam and Eve being in the Garden of Eden, but have the hope of Christ returning and enjoying that tree for eternity once he comes. But until then, our speech can be little pieces of fruit, soothing, healing fruit that soothes those around us. Now, perverseness on the other hand, in the Hebrew, means twisted, crooked, and deceitful. This isn't talking like about dirty jokes, although that's not encouraged either. This is talking about, this is talking about those who, who seek to deceive and twist their words, take them out of context, out of meaning, and to make themselves look better. And the imagery here, when it talks about this word, I want you to picture like, a gnarled, twisted tree that is crooked, that its roots are kind of coming out of the side. It's dead and lifeless. There's no fruit on it. This is the imagery that the, the writer here, he's, he's putting these next to each other, right? That the, the word, the gentle word, the healing word is a tree of life and the perverse word is twisted and crooked and, and without life. It's fruitless. This is the imagery that, that we're getting here as it crushes the spirit of the one who receives it. Now, Pastor Tim, like I said, I'm not going to say any more on that. Pastor Tim is going to go into this next week as we take a deep dive into the fact that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. And I'm going to cut out my story of Johnny the grocery store bagger because I'm running out of time. Suffice to say... It's a really encouraging thing when you get a word of encouragement in your grocery bag, right? Yeah, yeah. Johnny the grocery store bagger figured that out, and his line was, was cool. When he started doing this, this kid had Down syndrome. Okay, I guess I'm telling the story anyway. <laughs> True story. Kid had Down syndrome and was just a, a bagger in a grocery store, loving his job, and he went to a seminar on how important the words that we speak are. But he never got to really speak to anybody because he was the bagger. And so he decided that he was going to go home and write down encouraging words on paper and bring them to the store and just put them in people's bags. And he would put that bag in the person's cart and he would tell them the one opportunity that he had to speak, he would say, I put something very important in your bag for you. And true story, after... A month of this happening, the store manager noticed that every other aisle in their store was empty except for Johnny's aisle because everyone always wanted to get his special word of the day. And that is the life that words speak. That is the soothing healing that our words speak, the power of our words. And if we're just intentional about that, mindful of that by the grace of God, people will flock to that because our world is so filled with death. 
Now, I don't want to steal any of Pastor Tim's thunder. That's all coming next week. Stay tuned. Come back. All right. Verse 5. You people need to listen faster. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. This is another one that on his face it's like, well, that's not about speech. Well, guess what? It's all about speech. Because the fool who thinks they know everything, what are they going to do? They're going to tell you that they know everything, aren't they? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And when that comes out of our mouth, that is just a pride issue in our hearts. I want all of you right now to think of the area of your life where you think you have the greatest area of expertise. Like, this is, I'm really good at this, or I'm at least halfway decent at this. Okay, you got it? There's, we all should have, like, something that we think, hey, we got that. Well, guess what? You just identified the area of your life where you have the most pride. Congratulations. Now you know. And what will happen is the Lord will bring along a person or a situation that will press into that. That will just press into your thinking that you got this thing figured out. And what's going to come out? Well, could be that pride. By the grace of God, you may have humility that receives that. That's what we're going for. But if you're anything like me, oftentimes my first response is one of pride. I want to shut it down and not listen because I know what I'm talking about. I'm a fool when I do that. I'm pretty regularly a fool. Let me just say that. A fool despises his father's instruction. Remember, Proverbs is primarily written to young men who are being prepared to lead. And you can kind of get that from the beginning of the book. So when he's talking about his father's instructions, he's saying, hey, hey, you guys, and in our context, anybody, you're a fool if you don't listen to the instructions of those who are older, wiser, been there, done that. And even if they haven't, and you think you know, you're still a fool if you don't genuinely give heed to the words they say and see if you can glean truth that's in it. And that's all about communication, pride that comes out of our hearts. Okay, verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Now, this one is very much in line with what we already talked about in uh, verse 2. But the word spread here in the Hebrew is, is um, agrarian imagery. Someone who scatters grain. Think of that, right? They're throwing out the seed. And so the lips of the wise spread knowledge. They spread truth. They throw it out there. Not in a haphazard way. The idea here is a, a farmer who knows where the good soil is. And so they throw the seed on the good soil. They don't throw it on the bad. Don't waste it on the hard soil, but they throw it on the good soil. 
On the other hand, the heart of the fool has no such discernment. And recognize again, the, the proverb is, is comparing and contrasting lips and heart. Why? Well, we know why, right? We've been saying it every week now because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the lips of the wise, really what we're talking about is the heart of the wise who discerningly shares truth and the heart of the fool who just, as verse 2 says, just gushes it forth all over. And this brings us to the most important verse, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Guys, we will not be able to do any of this if the person who we are not, who we are speaking with, more than anyone else, is our God. And by His grace, having a mindfulness of His presence and His power at work within us, appealing to his mercy and grace on a daily basis, seeking the Holy Spirit that we would submit to him and be, let him be in control. Because otherwise, our sacrifices, our, our worship is empty. It's, it's just worthless ritual and worthless motion, religious motion. By the grace of God, the most important speech that any of us can seek to get right is our speech with our Heavenly Father through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these practical ways that the Lord can help us to have our tongue changed, it all starts on our knees in prayer. It all starts with an intentionality of communicating. And that doesn't mean just talking all the time. Actually, what does the wise man do? The wise man listens. As James puts it, is, is um, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The righteous, the anger of men does not produce righteousness of God. That's fair. Got it. So if you take nothing else out of this sermon, here is my encouragement to you. If you want to see maturity and refinement in your tongue, then start praying more. Start praying more. And take the word of God, open it up, and pray this to him. Pray this and ask him to move through his own words. 